Good morning. Great crowd today. So good to see everyone here this morning. All right, well, Julie and I, Lord willing, we're going to be leaving on our trip to the Holy Lands in exactly two weeks from now. Yeah, I am so excited and I'm so grateful to all of you. I have a card here from Julie and I, and I'll just read it to you. I'll put it out on the board, but dear church family, we are completely overwhelmed at your generosity. We have always dreamed of walking where Jesus walked, but thanks to Him through you, our dream, Lord willing, is becoming a reality. We will forever be thankful for all that you've done, your prayers, your generosity. May God bless you all so richly in His love, Jesus. P.S. We can't, sh- we can't wait to share our trip with you when we return. So thank you so much for making this possible. Thank you for your prayers, your generosity. Please continue to pray for us as uh, we travel for the next couple of weeks. But as I thought about this upcoming trip, we're, we're going to be gone. This is, I think, the first time we've ever been gone back to back for a couple of weeks like this. And so I started thinking, okay, well, what do I preach? I mean, we're going to be leaving in two weeks, and we're going to have a couple of weeks where we're not here, and I really don't want to divide a sermon series to where when I come back, you guys have no clue what I'm talking about. And so I thought I would do something that I haven't done in a while. I just wanted to, to talk to you guys about the family. And we're going to talk about marriage this morning. I haven't done this in a while, and we've got a lot of young families, and I just feel like this is so important. Whether you're newly married or whether you've been married for years, I I believe with all my heart that the way we model marriage, the way we love each other as husband and wife, sends a message to the rest of the world. They will know, as we just sang, they will know that we are Christians by our love. One of the things that I'm often asked, or one of the things that couples will come to my office and talk to me about is the fact that they no longer have feelings for each other. I'll have a husband who says, I I just don't love her anymore. Or I'll have a wife who says, I just don't love him anymore. And, And maybe both of them are feeling that. And so the question that they're wanting me to answer is, can that love be resurrected? And I believe with all my heart that if God can raise his son from the dead... He can resurrect your love. And and really, that's what I want us to talk about this morning. And I think this is so important because oftentimes when we think about love today, we think about what's put in front of us by Hollywood, this romanticized love. I think probably most of us have grown up believing that there is someone out there for me. 
And, and that someone, when, when they, you know, make me feel loved, you know, when, when they make me feel a certain way, I'm, I'm going to know it. And, and I'm going to know this is the one for me. And that love is going to last forever. And so typically what happens is from high school into our college years, we, we start looking for those feelings, right? We, we start looking for people who, who make us, well, who make our heart pound, who make our, our breathing, you know, speed up. We, we look for that person who, you know, we, we think about all the time, right? It's, it's those feelings. And, and, and so anyway, we find a person like that and, and we go out on a date and we come home that night and it's like, man, this is the one. I feel it. They make, me, they make me feel so good. This is, this is awesome. And then, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but a couple of weeks later, you go out with that same person, you come home and say, nope, mistake. Didn't like the way they chewed their food. That was kind of gross. She's got really ugly feet. You know, and, and it's all this uh, petty stuff, right? And, and now it's like the, the good feelings are gone. And, and so this is, this is definitely not the one for me. Well, here's the deal. The Bible indicates that God never intended for marriage to be based on something as unpredictable, uncontrollable, and unstable as a love feeling. Okay? Now, there is love in marriage, but it bears very little resemblance to some of those things that I was just mentioning just a few minutes ago. This, this Hollywood image, this romantic, con, this romantic uh, concept in which we often fantasize. In fact, what I want to do this morning is I want to share with you a story. It's, it's an Old Testament story. Some of you may have never heard this story before. Not too long ago, I, I did a series on Abraham. And you guys probably remember how Abraham was married to a woman by the name of Sarah. And they eventually have a son by the name of Isaac. Right? Y'all following me so far? Well, what I want to talk to you guys about this morning is how Isaac ends up married. It's kind of interesting. It's kind of, kind of fascinating. So I hope you guys will, will stay with me as we go through this. And then at the end, I'm just going to share some suggestions with you. And I say suggestions, okay? Because here's what I want you to understand as, as we get into this lesson, really, on love and marriage, is this. I don't have everything figured out when it comes to marriage. I don't have everything figured out when it comes to raising kids and, and having a family. I just try and serve the Lord, and, and Julie and I try and stay as close to the Lord as we can and, and do what He says. And, and, you know, our marriage is not perfect. We have problems. Our kids have issues at times. We have issues with our kids, and they have issues with us at times. But, but here's, here's the deal. God has continued to bless us as we put Him first. And as we seek to, to do His will. Because you see, he, uh, he is the author. He is the one who ordained marriage. He's the one who, who brought about family. 
and it's important to him. And, and so if we have questions about the family, how to do marriage, how to raise our kids, we just need to look to God's Word because it's still relevant today, which to me is just proof that God's Word is just, it's perfect, it's infallible, it's, it's amazing. But I want to start by telling you this story. You can look at Genesis chapter 24. And basically what happens is Abraham comes to one of his servants and he says, it's time for my son Isaac to get married. And he said, what I want you to do is I want you to go out and find him a wife. No pressure, right? In fact, look at verse 4. This is what Abraham says to his servant. Go to my homeland, to my relatives, and find a wife there for my son Isaac. Now, some of you are like, what? Well, this was the culture of that day. It was the parents, not the, the couple themselves that selected or chose each other, typically. The parents would, would make the decision, typically based off religious beliefs, maybe even financial status and so forth. But really what we see from Abraham is he had some criteria, he had some qualifications for the, for the wife of Isaac as well. First of all, they had to come from his homeland. In other words, he says to his servant, he says, I want you to find a wife for Isaac from my, my homeland. I, I want him, sorry about that, I want him to come from, or I want her to come from a similar background. Does that make sense? And, and then secondly, he says, listen, this, this young lady is going to have to be willing to relocate because this is the promised land. This is the land that God promised to our descendants. And so she is going to have to move here. And so that was the criteria. And so the next day... Abraham's servant, he leaves, and he's got this caravan of servants with him. He's got lots of gifts to give to the young lady's family. He's got ten camels, and he's going to Abraham's homeland. Well, he gets to this watering hole near Nahor, and he prays to God for guidance on sending him this woman for Isaac. And, and for those of you who have not married yet, especially you, you young people, I want to encourage you to pray for guidance now from God as to who you need to marry. Okay, just, just go to God and, and say, God, I, 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 need you to send, I need you to send me someone. Julie and I, uh, from the time we were teenagers, we were talking to God. We were praying to God, God, please, please send me a Christian young lady. Please send me a Christian young man. And, and Julie, she even had a list that she wrote out of what she was looking for in a man. And I fulfilled every one of those amazingly. <laughs> It was. <laughs> Very short list. Some of them I think she missed. Good looking, you know, all that kind of stuff. So anyway, but, but pray. Start praying now to God for guidance as to who you need to marry. So here you have Abraham serving, and he is praying to God. 
And he's like, God, give me some guidance here. And, and he, he even says, God, look, this is, this is how I know that this young lady was chosen by you. We're, we're at this watering hole. Let the one that you've chosen come out to me and say, hey, can I give you some water? And can I give your camels water too? Which was a really big deal because camels, from what I've been told, can drink up to 30 gallons of water. And he's got 10 of them. Okay, so, so for a woman to come out and say, hey, let me give you some water and let me water your camel too, this was definitely a sign. Like, this is borderline miraculous here. This was not normal. So in, so in enters this, this woman by the name of Rebecca, and the Bible says she's beautiful. And so Abraham's servant goes up to her, and she's carrying a jar to, to draw some water. And he says, hey, can I have some of your water? And she says, sure. And she gives him some water. And then she looks at him, she says, and let me water your camels too. And so immediately he knew, man, God has already answered my prayers. And so he breaks out two gold bracelets. He breaks out a gold nose ring because that, man, that gets a woman every time, right? And, and so he, he breaks out these gifts and he explains the mission that he's on. And then he bows down and he worships God and he thanks God for his, his goodness of, of showing him his choice. And then Rebecca, receiving these gifts, she goes running home and, and she finds her, her father and her brother and she's showing them these gifts. And, and her brother, who's kind of a scoundrel, if you continue to read uh, later on, but anyway, her brother's like, take me to him. And so Rebecca goes back to the watering hole, introduces him to the servant, and Laban, her brother, seeing all the wealth and the gifts that are going to be presented to the family, he says, hey, you need to come home with us. You need to come have a meal with us. You need to stay with us. We've got, look, we've even got a place to keep your camels. And so the servant agrees. And he, he goes to Rebecca's home to meet her family. And before they even have a meal, he breaks out with, listen, you just need to know why I'm here. This is, this is my master's mission. And, and this is what God is doing. God has chosen Rebecca to marry my master, Isaac. And after he gets done telling the story, well, look at verses 50 through 51. Then Laban, that's her brother, and Bethuel, that's her dad, replied, The Lord has obviously brought you here. So there is nothing we can say. Here is Rebecca. Take her and go. Yes, let her be the wife of your master's son as the Lord has directed. And the next day, man, Abraham's servant is so fired up. He's like, okay, Rebecca, let's go. And, and her family's like, whoa, 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 not so fast, man. At least give us 10 days. Let her say goodbye to, a, to all her family. Let her get all of her stuff together. And Abraham's servant is like, please, this, this is the mission that my master sent me on. Please don't detain me. And so Rebecca's family said, well, let's just ask Rebecca. And so they call in Rebecca and said, look, he's wanting to leave now. Are you willing to do this? And she says, yeah, absolutely. You talk about a woman now. Right? She's ready to do God's will immediately. And besides that, man, any woman that could pack up all her stuff in one day, <laughs> right? 
unannounced. I mean, that's a special woman. Like, you grab her up. And so anyway, she's like, yeah, she's, she's like, Let, let's go. And, and so notice what happens. Rebecca and Abraham's servant, they go back to Abraham and Isaac and their family. And this is what happens, Genesis 24, 64 through 65. When Rebecca looked up and saw Isaac, she dismounted from her camel. Who is that man walking through the fields to meet us? She asked the servant, and he replied, It is my master. So Rebecca covered her face with her veil. Are you getting this? Isaac didn't even get to see his wife's face before he married her. Like, that's crazy, people. Man. But you keep reading verse 20, or verse 67 of chapter 24. And it says, And Isaac brought Rebekah into his mother's tent, and she became his wife, and he what? He loved her. He loved her. That, that is so different, right, than, than our way of, of thinking today. Like, first you date. And I'm not saying there's... Don't, don't go out of here, please, telling people, Slay says it's wrong to date. Okay, don't, please don't misunderstand me. But, you know, normally in our culture, you date. And, and then after you date for a period of time, you know, then you get married. And, and you know, all of this stuff is... is Totally different from what we see here in the text. He goes into this tent not even seeing his wife and, and he marries her and he loves her deeply. And you say, well, well Slate, what, what point are you trying to make here? Well, the application I see from this is love is an act of the will, not just an emotion of the heart. You see, there's a big difference between the biblical definition of love and the world's concept of love. You, you see, the world considers love to be an, an involuntary emotion. Like it's something that you fall into, like, like you would fall into a pit, right? I just fell into love. And, and we even sing songs about this, right? Elvis Presley saying, I can't help what? Falling in love with you. The door's saying, hello, I love. Won't you tell me your name? That's deep, isn't it? The cannibal's saying, she drives me crazy and I just can't help myself. You see, there's an emotional experience called infatuation. You can be so physically and emotionally attracted to someone that the chemistry is right between you, and, and it, it, it creates excitement. Like I said, your heart starts pounding, your breathing gets heavy, all you can focus on is that individual. But here's the deal, infatuation always wears off. The righteous brother saying, you've lost that, what church? That loving feeling. The feelings are always temporary. But if you expect those feelings to always be there when you get married or to intensify when, when you get married, you may end up being very, very disappointed. 
There was a guy by the name of John Turner who said that his infatuation with his wife ended before they even left for their honeymoon. After they got married, he said, my wife and I, we got into this room to change clothes for our honeymoon. And as I was standing there, he said, she pulled out a spray can of deodorant and sprayed her underarms. He said, that is so gross. He said, she hasn't even bathed yet. All she's doing is sealing in that stink. <laughs> and he started questioning whether, man, have, have I made a mistake or not? You see, infatuation doesn't last. One of the things that I love to do when I'm counseling premarital, or when I'm doing premarital counseling for couples, is I always typically ask them, to tell me one thing about their fiancé that really irritates them. And the answers are almost always the same. Oh, there's nothing about him that irritates me. Or everything about her, I just absolutely love. And in my mind, I'm thinking, in six months, you're going to compile a list. <laughs> right? Because infatuation doesn't last. It's not the basis of marital love. You can be infatuated with someone who would be a terrible mate. You can be infatuated with someone that you don't even know. Right? How many of you have had some infatuation moments with singers or you know someone that you've seen in a movie? When I was a freshman in high school, okay, I found out that there were two girls a couple of towns over who got in a fight over me at school. I didn't even know these girls. But, but my, my friend who also lived in that town, he calls me and he says, you're not going to believe this, man. These two girls got in a fight over you today. And I'm like, that is awesome. So a couple of weeks later, we play them in basketball. And I'm thinking to myself, man, I am going to have my pick. And after we get done playing basketball, and I've had to play against my friend, we kind of met up. And I was like, so where are these girls, man? Tell me about these girls. And he looks at me, he goes, oh, dude, he goes, don't worry about it. They both said they are over you. <laughs> I was like, man, did I play that bad? I mean, what, what was the problem? But the problem is infatuation. It doesn't last. Thankfully, the Bible speaks about a much deeper love than infatuation. It talks about agape love. It's deeper than eros or erotic love. Agape means to give yourself to another person regardless of feelings. To do the right thing regardless of personal feelings. Agape love, if you really want to narrow it down, is un conditional love. It's the love that God has for you and me. Even though we're sinners, even though we're a mess, even though we continue to make mistakes, God says, I'm still going to love you. I'm still going to be there for you. And this kind of love is an act of will. It's not an uncontrollable emotion. It's a decision of the mind. And you say, well, Slate, how do you know? Well, first of all, because the Bible commands us to love. Ephesians chapter 5, husbands are commanded to, what church? Love their 
wives, right? But, but even go back to what Jesus says. Jesus commands us to even love our enemies. Now, now if God commands something, right? That means we can do it. That means we have control over it. And so it is a decision that we make, but also because I've seen dozens of people do it. I've, I've had people over my 26 years of ministry who have come to me saying, our love is dead. And then as they continue to seek God and His will and, and to really pursue each other and to, to build on their relationship once again, man, it, it's amazing how God can take a marriage that is broken, that is wounded, that is hurt, and He can completely resurrect it and restore it. I've seen it time and time again. But I think one of the keys for that to happen is we have to understand what real love is. Like I said, there's the world's idea of love and then there's biblical love. And so we look to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and, and we're told what love is and what love is not. And, and what I love to do with couples who come to me for counseling is, is I tell them, look, pull out 1 Corinthians 13 and you may want to do this your, yourself and, and you guys go through this together as a couple and see if there's anything that needs to be taken out or added in, in your relationship and your love for, for one another. And, and also there, there may need to be some personal evaluation here. But it says love is patient and it's kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or, uh-oh, rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable doesn't keep records of being wrong. And, and that's typically what happens oftentimes in marriage. We like to throw back those things that happened in the past. Remember when you did this and use it. He goes on to say it does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices when the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. Is always hopeful. And look at this last part. It endures through what, church? Every circumstance. I want to encourage you to take that home and, and study that today. I also, as we close out today, I want to share with you six things that I think can help rekindle love in your relationship. First of all, number one, make a commitment to your partner. I think about Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, where Paul says, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. How many of you, for those of you who have been married for several years, how many, how many of you would say there have been times when you've been tired in your marriage? At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we, what church? If we don't give up. There are going to be times when we're tired. But blessings are going to come. There's going to be a harvest in our homes when we don't give up. When we continue, right, to, to work 
on our, our marriage. I think about Winston Churchill. One of the things that he said in trying to rally England in World War II was, was this, and I think this is great. Maybe we need to hang this on our walls as, as far as our marriages are concerned. Wars are not won by evacuation. Now listen, if you're, going, if you're going through a divorce, if you've been through a divorce, I, listen, I'm not, I'm not trying to uh, upset you or, or anything like that. I, I think for people who have been through divorces, they would tell you, man, you don't want to go through it. Listen to what Slate's saying here. And, and so listen, wars are not won by evacuation. Sometimes in our marriage, we've got to fight, and I'm not talking about each other. We've got to fight for our marriage. In other words, when times get tough, we, we don't leave, but, but we stay together and we work through it and, and we fight for each other's love. One of, one of my favorite movies, we watched this just a couple of weeks ago as a family is fireproof and it's about a firefighter. And, and the firefighter motto is this, never leave your partner behind. And this particular firefighter, he transferred that into his marriage. You never leave your partner behind. And I think the same can be, be said for us. And, and maybe that takes getting out our, our wedding video or going through our wedding albums. But remembering the commitment we made to each other for better or for worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health. And remembering, listen to me guys, that's not multiple choice. Right? Marriage includes all those things. Times are going to get hard, so we, we get in there and we fight for our marriage. Second of all, pray that God will change your feelings. Pray for your spouse. And, and I know that that may be hard. Some of you may be going through something right now in your marriage, and, and man, like your spouse is the last person that, that you want to pray for, but pray for your spouse. Pray for yourself that God will change your feelings, that God will change their feelings. I think about uh, Genesis 25 verse 21. Isaac prayed for his wife, Rebekah, when she was barren, and the Lord answered her prayer. Pray about those barren feelings that you may have. Because in Ephesians 3.20 it says, All glory to God who is able through His mighty power at work, where church? Amen. Within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. You realize that? The things that we ask for, God has the power to grant and, and even do more than we would even ask or think. And, and so pray about that. Also, number three, dedicate yourself to fulfilling your spouse's needs instead of focusing on your unmet needs. And, and, and really, that's one of the things that, that couples will often come to me about. They're like, look, well, I'm doing this, and they're not doing anything. I'm doing my part, and they're not doing their part. This is a one-way street. This isn't fair. I'm, I'm getting out. Philippians chapter 2, verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the white church. Interest of others. If you really want to restore love, forget your needs. 
begin to completely focus on fulfilling the needs of your mate. And see what happens. And you say, well, Slate, I just can't do that. We did it for our kids. Right? We, we, we have our kids, we bring them home, we feed them, we clothe them, we change their diapers, we stay up with them. We do all these things, right, for them. And what do they do for us? <laughs> and yet, we love our kids so much. Right? Sacrifice, focus on the needs of your spouse. And what that means is being unselfish. It means removing pride and, and humbling yourself. Also, deliberately act the way you wish you felt. William James once wrote, If you act the way you felt, you will eventually feel the way you act. Newspaper columnist and minister George Crane tells about a woman who came in and she was so upset at her husband. She said, I want a divorce. She said, but not only do I want a divorce, I want to make him hurt as much as he has hurt me. And, and Dr. Crane, genius idea. He says, okay, he says, well, here's, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home and I want you to act as if you love your husband. He said, I want you to tell him how much he means to you. I want you to praise him for every decent trait. I want you to go out of your way to show him kindness and, and love and, and patience. And, and she's just sitting over there like, are, are you kidding me? He goes, hear me out. He said, after you do this for two months, she says, then I want you to, he says, then I want you to drop the bomb on him. I want you to look at him and say, I want a divorce. He said he'll never see it coming. And he said it will absolutely crush him. And she smiled and she says, I love it. <laughs> and so she goes home and, and man, she just pours into her husband, acting as if she loves him and, and she's showing him love and kindness and, and, and she's just doing all these things, treating him like a prince. And after two months go by, Dr. Crane calls and he says, so he says, are you ready to go through that divorce? And she says, divorce. She says, never. I've discovered that I really do love him. Her actions had changed her feelings. Motivation re resulted in emotion. And so if, if the emotions are dead, I want to encourage you to do ten things. Or at least write down ten things that you would do for your spouse if you truly loved your spouse. And I want you to do that for a month. And then after that month, I want you to just evaluate and, and see if God changes things, changes you and your spouse. And then very quickly, I'm out of, I'm out of time. Uh, spend time together. 
just the two of you. Listen, things get busy. I know. At, at one point, I had ministry and school and, and trying to, to have a family with kids. And, and, and things just get really, really busy. And, and so Julie and I, we have to pull away. And, and, and we've decided we take walks in the afternoon or we talk together. And, and throughout the day, we just kind of hang out with one another, talking or laying in bed. I mean, we'll, we'll go on dates with one another, spending time with each other. And, and, and listen, I know it's, it is so fun to go out with friends and bring friends in with you, you know, to go out on dates and stuff like that. But sometimes you need it just to be the two of you. Right? You, you need that time. And it may be awkward. It may get a little boring. But it's only through that communication that you're going to grow closer to each other, spending time with each other. It's like one person said, what oxygen is to the body, communication is to your marriage. And so you need that time together. And then lastly, develop spiritual maturity. Matthew 6, seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. In other words... Husbands, wives, surrender your lives completely to Jesus Christ. Then to your spouse. And then watch how God blesses your marriage. I'm telling you. When you study together and you pray together and, and you make God the focus of your home and your family, I'm telling you, God will work. He will bless you. There will be, as Galatians 6 says, there will be a harvest if you won't give up. Again, let me say once again, I, I'm not, I'm not a, a specialist. I don't have all the answers when it, when it comes to marriage. Do I believe that God can restore passion and restore love to a marriage? Absolutely. Again, if He could raise His Son from the dead, He can resurrect. He has the power to resurrect your marriage. And so lay your marriage at His feet. Let's pray. God, thank You so much for letting us be here today. Father, we're, we're so thankful for our families Father, we just pray that you'll continue to, to build us closer to you and, and closer to each other. And Father, we just pray that we truly will be a light in this world, that, that we will, will truly be a, a model for, for people to look at, to have hope and encouragement. And uh, Father, we just pray that you'll give us the strength and the patience to be able to do that. We just pray that you'll continue to work in our families. And we pray this prayer in the power of Jesus' name. I want to extend an invitation this morning. And if you're here, you've never put on Christ in baptism, listen, I want to encourage you to do that. Begin your, your walk with Jesus today, having all your sins completely washed away. Acts chapter 2, 
verse 38, Acts 22, verse 16. If you want to know more about baptism, if you want to know more about having a relationship with Jesus, I'd love, love to be able to spend some time do, uh, sitting down talking with you about that. Or if there's someone here this morning that needs prayers, listen, that's the great thing of being a part of a church family like this. We can come together, we can pray and encourage each other and lift each other up so that we can continue pressing on being who God wants us to be. But whatever the case may be, if you need to come, then once you come together, we stand and sing.